Hi, this is Shauna, the CEO and founder of Fuel Talent. One of the things I have loved most in my 25-year recruiting career has always been the stories that people tell. Stories of leadership, career choices, company ideas, and team building. My inspiration for starting the What Fuels You podcast came from being curious about people's lives and wanting to help share their stories. What path brought them to this place? What decisions did they make that led to failures and successes? Who influenced those decisions and what lessons were learned along the way? I hope you enjoy the What Fuels You podcast. Today's guest on the What Fuels You podcast is Kate Wallach. Kate is the founder and chief creative officer of Dance Church. Kate is a Seattle-based choreographer who believes in the combined power of artists and the public, a dancer, a choreographer, educator, and founder who was named one of Dance Magazine's 25 to watch. Kate has cultivated community through her all-inclusive dance fitness class, Dance Church, which has been bringing people together through the joy and release of dance since 2010 in real life and now on the internet. In response to COVID-19 and the subsequent lockdown that left many in search of ways to exercise, they partnered with Seattle-based startup studio Pioneer Square Labs to launch their subscription video on-demand platform and brought on CEO Clara Siegel. With Dance Church Go, the Dance Church movement has reached a massive audience and has brought joy to living room dancers all over the world. Welcome, Kate. So good to see you. Thank you for having me. Nice to see you too. I'm going to start hitting you with some rapid fire. Are you ready to go? Give it to me. Okay. So what was your favorite subject in school? Show choir. <laughs> what are your top three favorite cities? Ooh, LA, New York, and Seattle. Oh, good ones. Love it. Um, are you an introvert or an extrovert? Uh, extrovert. And what would you stay up late or wake up early to do? Ooh, definitely wake up early to drink coffee. I like go to bed excited to drink coffee in the morning. I got mine right here. I love my coffee. I know, me too. Um, I drink way too much coffee. I drink like so many I. cups a day. Yeah. Um, and stay up late... I stay up late. Oh God, this is going to sound so terrible, but like I go into like TikTok, Instagram portals at night. Like I have to hold myself back and I'm like, put the phone down and like put on like an audible book or like put the phone it's down. so hard. Yeah. I don't really like overly watch TV or movies. So I'm not going to be the person that's staying up late because I'm like in like a cave. Binging. Like, yeah. Binging on something. I'm more like, oh my God, like I'm just like addicted to scrolling. So I have to intentionally be like, okay, tonight I'm listening to an audible book. Yeah. Or tonight I'm just opening up the three magazines that I bought last week that I haven't actually opened and read yes. yet. It so sounds exactly like me, except for I do also watch TV and movies and I've got many good shows that I can hook you on. Um, okay. okay, what is an interest that you haven't yet pursued? Interests that I have not yet pursued would be, so I've always wanted to actually learn how to 
design, like actually take the classes and the courses where I can learn how to use the tools and the programs and like all the things and, and actually learn how to do it myself. That is something that um, I'm there conceptually, like I'm there conceptually or from like a direction standpoint, I just don't physically have the tool set or the, the skill set to be able to do it. So wait, when you say design, design what? like graphic design. Oh, like, okay, yeah. like, like web design and that type of yeah. stuff. Yeah. Like, or oh, even yeah. Photoshop, like just simple things like InDesign and Photoshop. I would love to like actually learn how to do that. Um, when I have all the time to like take a course. <laughs> yeah. I'll take that with you. I don't know if I could slow my brain enough to do it, but it sounds like, I feel like I'd feel very accomplished if I could figure it out. Um, okay. So most of our listeners may not know who you mentioned here. I'm sure I won't either, but I'm curious if there's a dancer that you most admire or that kind of you've always looked up to. Yeah. So gr- growing up, it was Madonna. Oh, well, we know Madonna. <laughs> yeah. I you say know Debbie Madonna. Allen. Yeah. Oh, Debbie Allen. Um, so, so Madonna, just because, so I'm from Michigan. And so like, I grew up with my mom always being like, you could be Madonna, but not, not for the singing side, because I, I have a terrible voice. If you've ever uh, listened or watched a class on dance church go and I accidentally sing into the microphone you will hear that my voice is terrible but uh, I just have always loved how like multi-dimensional Madonna is as an artist um, and she's an amazing dancer um, and so like that obviously I always looked up to to her and then um, also like in the dance world, like in my young ballerina days, like I was totally like starry eyed for like Wendy Whalen and um, dance artists like that until I realized like that there was like some not so great things that I was attracted like about the fact that she's like body dysmorphia and things like that. And so it sort of started to shift um, when I got more into like modern dance and postmodern dance and um I think I just started to look at, become more inspired by like contemporaries, like people Mm -hmm. who are like a little bit older than me that were just like, you know, paving a way in dance and sort of like an intersectionality between like dance and visual art and design and fashion. Like I've always sort of been uh, more interested in that um, side of dance and, you know, collaboration. So there's just so many people. There's there. so many things. Okay, so what's who's your favorite? You, you mentioned fashion. Who's your favorite fashion designer? Oh, favorite fashion designer. Um, well, I love Martine Rose. Um, everything like alongside Balenciaga is like just incredible. Like Alessandro Michelle, Gucci. I also really love like Virgil Abloh just because he's so like multimodal in his way of thinking and being a, an artist, you know, like design, fashion, architecture, um, and really not just having one sort of main medium. Um, and yeah. it being more about like building conceptualized like ideas and worlds. Like I, I love that. But the yeah. funny thing is like, I feel like dance is always excluded from people like that. Maybe like not intentionally, but the body, you know, is always this like missing component to, to certain things. That said, like with fashion, it's been so cool, especially with fashion week, just like happening. Yeah, I just watched you know? the Met Ball. Or, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. But like dance and is, is 
totally part of main culture right now um, and our mainstream culture. And I think that that's really fascinating um, how the body can partake in yeah. like these huge um, movements, you know? It's funny because I, I danced a lot growing up and then I did, you know, cheerleading and all that kind of stuff. And I, my daughters are always dancing around the house and I, music's always on in the background. I love to dance. And I feel like when people say, what are your hobbies? I don't dance as like a thing, but I, but dancing in my mind is one of my hobbies. Like it's when I feel the most alive and the most free and the most myself, but it's not like I'm trained and I, I feel weird. Like I'm supposed to have some sort of, um, like I don't get to claim being a dancer because I'm not a dancer. Do you know what I mean? And that's why I love your business because it's like everybody can, and let's just level the playing field. I know we believe that dance is for everybody. Yes. Like everyone can dance. Like, I love saying that, like we're on a mission to bring dance to everyone or empower dancers in everyone, you know? And the whole mind body connection. I love it. Love it. Love it. So, you, okay. So you grew up in Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, what was that like? Like, I know that I read that you started dancing when you were three. Yeah, I did. I started dancing when I was three. I, so I grew up in Michigan. I grew up in a very small town, kind of in the middle of nowhere, literally in the middle of cornfield um, called Tecumseh, Michigan. Like, I think it, when I was growing up, there was like 5,000 people that lived in the town. Um, so very small, um, the daughter of a, a business owner. Um, my dad owns a lumberyard and a hardware store in our small, in the town we grew up in. And um, my mother is a elementary school teacher in the public school system. So I, I kind of grew up at this intersection between like education and like, and like entrepreneurship and like, uh, you know, being a small town business owner, which I find really fascinating actually. Um, but yeah, I was obsessed with dance from the age of three. Um, like my my mom ran a daycare out of the basement that uh, we had and there was always kids around and my dad is like kind of a workaholic. And so uh, there's just a lot going on and dance dances was always sort of my escape and my place to sort of process and really just um, put all of my energy into one location. Mm-hmm. Um, did you take all sorts of dance or did you do the typical, like start with ballet? I, I grew up in like tap jazz ballet. Mm. So really classic small town, local dance studio, mm-hmm. uh, not, not hip hop because that wasn't really an offering there. It was really just tap jazz ballet. And yeah. when, and, and I was obsessed with it and I would go every day after school, like I would walk from school and I'd be at the dance studio from four until like 9 PM. Like my mom would pick me up and like, I'd like go home and like dinner would be in the microwave, you yeah. know? Like, I had that total upbringing also. So when I remember doing the like braids, putting on the leotard in the car, like getting ready from school. Um, and I do remember this, there was one uh, dance uh, studio that everybody went to and the dance studio owner was like pretty mean. <laughs> You know, she would like take our feet and like bend them. Like you're saying we didn't have good arches or this. And she would just bend my feet. And I just remember thinking, and I also remember, I was also an athlete. And I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, my thighs are too big. And I remember I was probably like seven and they might've been too big, but like, I'm sad that I was even thinking that. And it was only in dance that I was thinking like that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. 
I feel like between the ages of like three and 14, like I was really sort of like, it was just all passion and all love and desire. And it was social. Like I have these like amazing memories of like our dance carpool where like, I would like, it would be like in doing the same thing, braids, putting on my leotard in the backseat of the car and like listening to Tom Petty and like just singing like Tom Petty at the top of our lungs. And then like going to dance, being really like regimented and rigorous and so focused and dedicated and watching myself in the mirror and like getting notes and and all the things that you do but like also having no context for what was like good or bad or like like I was in like a little small town bubble you know um but I remember like watching eventually like getting on YouTube and like researching ballet dancers and I remember looking at these videos of like Elsie Kirkland and you know, like Balanchine dancers from like early New York City ballet and just looking at them and being like, I don't look like that. Like I, I watch myself in the mirror and like, I'm not like that. And if that is good, like I need to get better. (laughs) And so like, I, I literally like had this moment where I was like, I love this thing. I'm so passionate, but like, I just had this like coming to reality moment of like, where do I live? Like, what is like, and I was 14. And so I asked my mom, I was like, mom, I, can I get more dance training? And so she started uh, like letting me go to like do Nutcracker in like Ann Arbor and Detroit, like the bigger cities. And I also dipped my toes in competition dance a little bit, which was like, Mm -hmm. like, dance moms culture. Yeah. Well, my, my daughter was competing and I was like, I got to yeah. pull out of this. I mean, I have huge suitcase bin of makeup. I'm like, this is insane. Yeah. It, and that totally did not resonate with me. That didn't um, exist when we were younger. I mean, I think I'm older than yeah. you, but I don't remember that vibe when I was younger where there's like caked on makeup and this whole, I remember doing like little things at Seattle center and I don't remember it being so produced. Oh yeah. I mean, you can totally see how like that culture is just like totally gone straight into like TikTok culture, you oh, know? Completely. Um, yes. Like like there it was just it's just this sort of commercialized yeah. um sort of version of like everything else, right? I mean, like yeah. everything else for our kids these days. And so yeah. are there any friends that you danced with that have also kind of pursued it and made a career out of it? Or are they gone on? Did you know that you wanted something with dance, big picture? Well, that it was in that moment where I was like, if I want to be a dancer, like I need more training. So basically I asked my, my mom and dad, I was like, I did research on my own of finding these like boarding schools. My mom like assisted me and I found like some boarding schools for dance that Mm -hmm. exist. And so, um, I ended up like, auditioning for them and I there one of them happened to be in northern Michigan and so got financial aid my mom like was like apply for the scholarship she really was like do it all your if you do it like we'll make it happen you know and so um I ended up going to Interlock and Arts Academy for my last two years of high school um as a boarding school student and that is really where I was exposed to like a whole new level of like art artistry and like artistic people you know like that school is just like very prestigious and has like, you know, I was going to school with like famous artists, children, and like these sort of like legacy artistic families um, and like had like incredible professors and teachers. And um, 
yeah, I was just really exposed to a whole new world. Like I had like international students as like my roommates and I was exposed to like wealth and money, like going to school with like people with like a lot of money, which I come from like a middle-class family. And so um, that was like just very eye-opening. And so it's really there where I met like dance artists that I'm still, I still know today people in other fields like music, um, opera, voice, singing, um, uh, acting that oh, I- that's incredible. So Interlochen had all of it. Yeah, yeah. That's they, very cool. How did. many hours a day were you dancing there? Uh, so my academic classes were from 8 a.m. until noon, and then I danced from one until like seven every day. Yeah, so. I went to boarding school for tennis, and it was the same. I'm like, it was kind of like not really school. We called it school, but like if I look back, I'm like, I went for like a few hours a day to school. Yeah. The rest, it's so rigorous, though. It's intense, and it weeds out the people who you know, are not that serious, and it looks like you continued on because you got a scholarship to Cornish. How did you decide and where did you apply and all that yeah so it's it's funny because like I have so many mixed thoughts about like education and like training especially in a field that like one percent of people actually who enter the field of dance get jobs and like this is like bigger picture thinking of like where I've taken dance church and stuff but like I have a lot a lot of feelings about that and so um and I was very fortunate and privileged to be able to like get the the resources and you know have the parents that like encouraged me to to be able to go to a school and get that training. Um, but I really wanted to be a ballet dancer, and like if you want to be a ballet dancer, like you have to like go to like a Pacific Northwest Ballet or a School of American Ballet. Like that is the pipeline, you know. And so um, and so I kind of missed that that, that opportunity, you know, because I did go to this more sort of holistic school that said, um, it was the best, that's where I was supposed to go, you know, to like be exposed to like a broader way of thinking, um, when it comes to medium and, and, and genre and formats inside of dance. And so when I was looking to go to like school, I got like the most scholarship to go to Cornish essentially. And my mom and dad were like, bye-bye. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> See ya. Uh, yeah. And so, um, but, uh, and you know, Seattle was interesting. Like that, and that school is interesting because it's really one of those schools that you like make it what you want it to be. And so I was like, really like still like kind of holding down, like, I still want to be a ballet dancer, even though I was like, I'm not going to be a ballet dancer anymore, you know? And so it's at Cornish where I really started to like really research um, choreographic thinking and, and sort of conceptualizing my dance practice um, for myself personally, because I would make dances in boarding school. Um, like I would be that, that dancer that was just like in the dance studio every night from like six to 9 PM. Like I still, after like, I'm like doing my like dance tech job all day. Like I go to the studio from like five to 10 PM at night, you know, and make dances. Cause that's what you do as a dancer and a choreographer. Mm -hmm. So, um, but in Seattle and like, when I went to Cornish, like I just, I, I, I realized that like ballet was not going to happen for me. And so that's when I started started to like research my own movement language and really started to disassociate with like ballet as a form and started to find my own sort of like gestural um, and, and sort of movement language for what it was that I was going through, which was kind of like grief around like a career that I wish that I had or like 
Um, and so dance and choreography really became a place of like processing for me. Wow. Also, my like family life, there was some things that were going on that I was like with my family that I kind of needed to process. And like, I would process through, through being in the studio and letting my body sort of speak mm-hmm. in a lot of ways. So, were you able to do that with other people around? Or is that the kind of thing where it's like, you know, I'm going to cry hysterically into a pillow alone in my room. Like mm-hmm. I've heard a lot of people and I understand that the mind body connection through dance. Um, can you be that level of vulnerable or did that take time to be able to kind of show yourself in that way? I, yeah, vulnerability takes trust. And so, you know, the, those processes for me would always begin singular. Like I would be in a space on my own going through Lie. Like sometimes I would go to the studio and I would just lie, like lay, like without moving for three hours. And then I would like get up and leave. And I was like, productive. That was productive today. Okay, good. Next, next, next day. And, you know, slowly I would move from a place of just like so much feeling and then start to move into like, oh, how is my body taking this in and wanting to respond to that? And then once I would really get into that place, I would move into a place of actually creating some like, um, goals inside of it, like noticing habits that were coming out of my body and then starting to formalize them a little bit. Um, and also creating a a language around like what it was that I was feeling, what it was that I was doing. Um, and at that point was when I was like, I think I need to invite other people into this space and start to be able to translate whatever is going on in here and see if I can translate that to other people. Um, and so that's um, the point in the process that I've always sort of like brought dancers into the space with me to sort of like create a shared language together. Yeah. Um, and so as you're leaving Cornish and you're thinking about, you know, the 1% who actually can make a career out of dance, how are you approaching kind of um, making money and like surviving and paying rent and all of that? Well, that's the interesting thing about being an artist in the art world. Uh, So I didn't have money. (laughs) Like I didn't, I had like no, I had like emotional support from my family, which is more than a lot of people have, but um, as an artist, but like, I was not, you know, I had to get a job. And so like, I was working at a coffee shop and I had this moment, like there was a, there was a two choreographers that I was like interning with and they were both unpaid but I remember like one of the choreographers like got this opportunity at like a pretty prestigious like dance venue um on the east coast and they wanted me to like go to to the residency with them and they asked me to like pay for my plane ticket to like go as like to go with them and I just remember being like they're like, oh, like there's just no money here. Like there's no money. Like the government like is not supporting the arts in in a big enough way. And it's not the choreographer's fault. Like they don't have money either. They're just trying to make their work and their work involves like having people in the work. And it was just this moment for me where I was like, oh my God, I got to figure this out because like I have to pay my rent. So I I ended up just sort of like staying in Seattle and because I couldn't leave, like I didn't have Mm -hmm. money to like go get on a plane and like go on a big European dance tour or something to try to get a job in like one of the big like European dance companies that actually do have government funding. Um, So I, um, I started working at a coffee shop 
and I started nannying and I started sort of doing um, like personal assistant work. Um, but I actually think that those were like pivotal things or like um, jobs in my life that actually taught me so much and in the bigger picture. Like I was a personal assistant for VP at Microsoft. Um, I was a nanny for a family that like actually really supported my dance career as it was developing. And um, like when I was working at that coffee shop, it was inside of an art gallery. And I just met so many people in different fields, you know, and got to give you a lot of exposure and opened you opened your yeah, eyes up, opened yeah. my eyes to just like the world outside of dance, which was yeah. really important in the bigger picture of things. Um, and yeah. at the same time, I was in the studio crying, journaling, processing and eventually inviting dancers in. Um, and I had a really incredible mentor who's still my mentor today named Tanya Lockyer at the time, um, or not at the time, that is still her name. <laughs> and, but at the time she was like, she was like, you should just like make work, like just be here. You love making dances, like just spend time making work. And she really, uh, just supported, uh, me during that time like she gave me the keys to her a dance studio that she was a co-op member of and um, eventually she became the artistic director of an arts org in Seattle and um, was one of the first like curators that I really started to work with and that that um, organization commissioned my first evening length work so um, she was a really pivotal person in my career um, and empowering like going beyond the norm mm -hmm. like says you can't be a choreographer when you're 21, you right. know? So beyond but, like mentoring you, it's almost like she sponsored you and helped you get to this place. Yeah, she definitely, she definitely helped me a lot. And mm -hmm. even if it was just through, you know, a support system of like, yeah, it's interesting. The dance world is toxic or can be toxic. You right. know? Like a, your win is my loss versus like we all rise together. Yeah. And, and also I just think it's like, there's, it's built on these hierarchies, like you, you, or these norms, like, okay, you're, you know, you go to a dance education, you get your dance education, then you go to college for dance, or you join a company and then you join a company and then you dance for quite a while. And then you start making choreography and then you start to have your choreography career. Um, and so, and there's just so few dance companies now mm -hmm. that that when I was coming up in the dance world, that just there were no jobs anymore. So right. it was like, if you wanted to dance, you kind of had to figure out how to do it on your own. Right. Um, if, unless you, you know, unless you could, you know, go and try to get a dance, a job in a company in Europe or something. Mm -hmm. and, and so, so how did you, how did you birth this whole idea? Like, tell me about the origin story of dance church. Well, I mean, I was stuck in Seattle and I felt really lonely. <laughs> and so I, um, Dance Church really started because as I was in that studio space in Pioneer Square, like, and I was processing my dance thing, uh, emotions and the thing, you know, all the events that were happening around my world, um, I, I, I just missed a feeling of community. Um, and I don't really know that I ever fully had experienced a feeling of community before. Like you knew you craved it. Yeah. Craved it. And like, I, 
I was meeting all these people in different, in different fields. And there was just not really like one space that existed. There wasn't really a class taking culture in Seattle at the time. And so I just started a Sunday morning movement practice. And I just started to invite people randomly that I would meet. Mm -hmm. and And did you call it dance church at first no at first it was called sunday morning movement practice (laughs) (laughs) terrible terrible name but um eventually like it was on sunday mornings and um eventually people started to come and it wasn't like a lot of people it was like you know five people a week seven people a week 12 people a week but after class, we would go downstairs. There's like a little like a restaurant underneath and we would go downstairs and we would, you know, have brunch together and share some food and a coffee after class. And it just kind of became a ritual. And the students were like, oh my God, this is like our church. This is our dance church. And so really it was like just the, the takers that kind of I love it. coined the term. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it was really powerful. And then eventually it grew and we ended up moving it up to Velocity Dance Center um, on Capitol Hill, um, which no longer exists, or at least that space doesn't exist. Um, but uh, yeah, that was kind of like the origin of it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's I height, really- like, tell me about the business right before the pandemic hit. Where was the business in like January 2020? Yeah. So basically from 2010 until 2020, like Dance Church was just a grassroots community movement that had, you know, grew from five people a class to literally like hundreds of people a week taking our classes um, in six different cities across the country. Because what was happening was that as my dance career was growing and I was meeting more dancers, like I started to have to scale myself in some ways. Like, you know, I was teaching classes in, in Seattle every single Sunday, but oh, then I got an opportunity to like go do a commission in a different city. And I was like, who's going to teach dance church, you know? So I had to sort of like, um, uh, find a way to codify, codify what it was that I was doing and teach it to other, to other dancers. Um, and so I started to do that and, you know, the same community would, keep coming to the classes, no matter what the teachers. Um, And so I started to like go through the learning curves of like how to train people, but it was really analogous to like my, my training dancers and working with dancers in my dance company, you know, it was like giving notes and like taking, taking their classes and starting to sort of like really pull, pull it together. And so, um, yeah, eventually those teachers started to want to get trained as well. And so I started to train teachers in LA and New York and Seattle. And yeah, it just really um, blossomed in That's a really incredible. And how way. much was it? Like, how were you making money? We were making money because classes were $15 a person. Yeah. Um, and in all of those cities and, um, but I have to say like the, the, the back the back end of everything was, it was still super grassroots, like grassroots is the best way to say it because yeah. like I am not a business person. I didn't go to business school, you know, but I am the daughter of a small town business owner. And, um, and also like, I knew how to get people to come to my shows, you know, yeah. like, I was like, oh, this is this sort of like ephemeral dance idea. How are we going to translate that to the world and show them what this means? So I started to collaborate with 
photographers and designers and people who could help bring together a visual language for the ephemeral, which is dance, um, in, in almost like a marketing way as well. And so, um, uh, so that's that's kind of how Dance Church grew from f- over those 10 years, but then COVID hit and literally uh, overnight, everything shut down. Like Yeah. Just and so tell down. me about how that impacted the business and what did you do to get through it? Well, um, you know, between 2015 and 2020, like I had really built a strong community in Seattle and that community was like multi-dimensional in terms of, um, like what, what, what they were doing in their careers. So I knew designers, I knew people in tech, I knew people in, um, in fashion and, in just in all different types of industries. And so, um, when, when COVID hit and everything had to shut down, like I had really dear friends who worked in tech and internet and design. Um, and I had built a board through the nonprofit org that I had, uh, that I founded in 2016. And I was like, well, what's, what's going to happen? And so I activated that community and, um, basically overnight we were able to launch dance church go, um, and, uh, Dan in like a very MVP way. So like, we're going to live stream this thing. Um, and we did that. And in two days it was like me. So me, Al Mandeli, who, um, is a, uh, like an experienced designer and, um, a studio in New York called Collect, um, two designers, Andrew uh, JS and Joshua Tuscan. He's more like an engineer and um, Andrew is a uh, graphic designer. And so we kind of put together this like super MVP thing. And then me and um, Thomas and Lobby, who are sort of main dance church people, we were like, how is this gonna translate? Like, what's the experience gonna be through camera? Um, And so, yeah, it just really was like, it almost felt like this like really quick creation that just so dance church go what is it exactly and how do people if they're listening and they want to it's like a tuesday afternoon and i'm just like i'm in the mood to dance yeah is it is it on demand or is it on the schedule so it's now it's on demand so i've dance church go was originally birthed as a live stream version of our in-person dance church classes. So what would it would be like, you would show up to dancechurch.com every Sunday and you can watch a live stream class. It's pay what you can. um, And you get to take a online dance movement fitness experience. um, And it's it's streamed every Sunday. Um, Throughout 2020, things just got, Oh my God. It was like, all of a sudden it was like, Oh my God, do I have a dance company or do I have a tech something? Like, I don't know what this is, but this is not what it was, you know? And so through that process, like, I just realized that like COVID wasn't going away. It was not just going to disappear. And so in the thing that I created for 10 years was a bunch of people in a dance studio sweating together. (laughs) Right. Not Um, so safe. 
not yeah exactly not so COVID friendly so um I was just like knowing this knowing that we got like all this sort of viral success overnight like there was some, some classes that up to 10,000 people were streaming our Sunday morning classes and so um but we needed institutionalized and like infrastructural help in order to really support this thing like we we're all drowning small team you know and so like at that moment that's when um I was like we need more help and so um, I reached out to Pioneer Square Labs, which is a startup studio um, mm-hmm. and like a venture arm. I've had three. I've had Julie on this podcast. I've had Greg and I've had Ben. Really? Yeah. They've all been on the pod. I love them all. They're all amazing. Yes. Uh, that I know them all very well. Um, so I reached out to them <laughs> because they're tech people and was like, we need help. Um, and so dance we partnered with pioneer square labs to really build out this sort of infrastructure for dance church as a business in yeah. this sort of hybrid space between like in-person classes and online and with them we worked together to launch the dance church go platform um that sort of has like a subscription video on demand service so they really created the business model with dance church um to, to grow and scale Dance Church. Um, so now when you go on Dance Church, you have to go in and you have to like make an account and um, it's basically membership based. Um, and then you can either have like a subscription or you can just, you know, take the uh, Sunday live classes. And um, since we've partnered with Pioneer Square Labs, like we've even done more work. Like we've built out a whole backend registration system for like our um, in-person classes as well. And the best part of everything is that we brought on a CEO. <laughs> so um, yeah, you're like, I get to stay in the lane where I thrive and I get to let somebody else go in that lane where they're look- looking at the PL and yeah. yeah. Yeah, that I mean, and that really has been the biggest shift from like what Dance Church was to what it is now is like Dance Church was always a business, I guess, but that's not what it felt like. You know, it was like it was like a movement. And yeah. um, and now Dance Church still is a community movement, but it's really being supported and has the resources that it needs to really support the teachers and support the artists and support the creative and the experience in the community. Mm-hmm. Um, and so bringing on Clara Siegel, who is our CEO, um, has been a like a life change, life changing. What's her background? What's Clara's background? Well, Clara is brilliant. And she, uh, her background is that she has a theoretical um, math degree from Reed College. And um, she uh, went to Stanford GSB. Um, and her, like, she's really built her career in tech. So she's worked at Amazon, Microsoft, and um, and Tableau. And like, before she came to Dance Church, she was at Facebook. Um, and, you know, I think her expertise is really um, systems and structures and scale. And, um, so she, she worked on the Facebook rooms product and sort of was like a part of building that product to be like second in the space next to Twitch. She is incredible. So it's been really amazing to have her on the team. And, um, I will be writing a book someday and it's called why I'm not a CEO. (laughs) (laughs) You know what? I think it's good to know where, where you, uh, where you belong and what lane you should be playing. And you're clearly, um, passionate and creative and have amazing leadership skills. You've been able to build this awesome community. You should 
very much be proud of that. But it's true. Like sometimes when you pivot in a business sense, like now we're kind of a tech company, we're building a platform. Um, that might not even be what you want to be spending your time doing. And that's okay. I think that's great that you know that. Um, so what are your goals and, and what is kind of the big picture plan for the business? Yeah. Um, so I'm a creative, I'm, I am a, uh, you know, I'm a choreographer, I'm a dancer, I'm an educator, I'm a curator in a sense. And I, um, like I am holding down the sort of like for, for the experience side of things inside of dance church and the creative direction inside of it all. And so, um, we are fundraising currently, and we are actually going to build out the platform itself. So we're still very much so in a build model. Um, and, um, once we actually build out the platform, uh, we, which will include community features. We're building like a content create, uh, creation, um, platform for the dance artists as well. So the ability to like follow a dancer and, um, get like notifications when like dance artists are, you know, a class is airing on the platform or whatever. Um, or if that teacher is, you know, teaching an in-person class in LA or New York. Um, so all of that is very much so in beta right now. And so we are going to continue to build that out, but, you know, it's our vision to bring dance to, to everybody. And so, like right now, technically dance church is geo-gated to the United States. So like we see that going, um, you know, and really stand by the belief that dance is universal and dance is global. Oh, and 100%. So, yeah. And so um, there are a lot of complexities inside of the tech side of things, specifically with like music licensing and so um, in the music industry. So there's there's a lot of problems that we're in the middle of solving and like and working on and finding innovative ways of of um, solving those problems. So um, so, yeah, the vision is like dance church will be online and it will be in person forever. <laughs> That's so, so like, exciting. I yeah. love it. I love it. It's yeah, definitely got me through some tough um, feeling a little claustrophobic days during the pandemic. And I'm excited to continue um, to follow you and follow the business. I'm curious how you spend your time outside. It sounds like you're, you're dancing a lot. You're spending time in a studio a lot. Now you're building this whole crazy tech platform. How do you relax and um, spend time outside of work? Yeah, that's a great question. <laughs> a hard balance um, as any founder would tell you. Um, but for, you know, for me, dance, it's really hard when dance is like your job but it's also like your therapy, <laughs> you know, like in a lot of ways, dance church as a format evolved because like, it was me processing, you know, like there's parts of class where you're like on all fours and you're just like letting it all out and releasing. And so like dance church is like, someone said this once, like on DMs, they're like, dance church is better than therapy. <laughs> and I was like, yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, but so for me, like going into the dance studio by myself and alone, like that feels like my, my self-care, you know, in a lot of ways. Um, my sister is my best friend and um, she is, a, we spend a lot of time together. We also have a dog named Winston, um, he's a silver Weimaraner and uh, he's incredible. You know, I'm really close with my family and um, I love them. Pre-pandemic, like, you know, 
I'd be like going to like events and galleries and new restaurants and all that. And that's slowly starting to come back. Like I'm currently in LA right now. And so it's been really nice to connect with my community here in LA in like a safe way way and like go to all of my favorite restaurants here and yeah. starting to go to gallery openings again. Like I it's just- so I miss it all. I was actually just telling my husband that this morning. I'm like, there's this weird part of me that's like in back in life. And then a little bit of that weird, like what's okay, what's not okay. And it just depends on who you're around. Cause I can fall into everything's fine. And then you talk to someone who's worried and then you're like, wait, maybe I need to pull back. Yeah. Um, but we all need human connection and we all need movement. So you're providing a lot of relief and release for people. I think it's just incredible. Um, what's your ultimate fuel, Kate? I mean, the community fuels me. It's like this like crazy relationship where I'm just like, like, I'm like, was so nervous about bringing in-person classes. And then I thought about the community and I thought about all this, like, energy that we cultivate together. And I'm like, I miss that. Like, I need that. Like, I need the community and they need this and they need me, you know, as their guide. And so, um, like the community fuels me and, but like, uh, also like dancers, like Dance, dance as a medium has always been so underrepresented and underfunded and undersupported. And like, as a dance artist, like I've, there's been so many times where I'm like, someone says like, what do you do? And I'm like, I'm a dancer. And they're like, what does that mean? Right. Or, uh, what kind of dancer are you? Or like, you know, someone says like, what's going on in your life? And I'm like trying to talk to them about like my show and my art. And it's just like, there's a cult, like there's not an understanding of what that is. And so it's been like my personal artistic manifesto to be like, how do we, how do we have dancers be seen and heard inside of the, the, the world and the community so that a dancer is walking down the street and people are seeing that dancer and like looking at that dancer and respecting that dancer and understanding their value in life and in culture. Um, and, um, like, that, that's my personal mission is like to like actually prove the value and the worth yeah. of dance artists. I and- for one, hundred percent see you, see all dancers. It's my number one. When anybody has asked me on anything, like, what would you do if you weren't doing this? I was like, when I was little, I wanted to be a solid gold dancer. Like yeah. I love dance. I am obsessed with watching dance. And I think so. that that's the coolest thing that's happening like culturally right now. Like it says something that like when the entire world shut down during COVID, the whole world turned to dance because dance is joy and dance like is, is a space in your body for you to, you know, heal and to, to come together and to laugh and to just like experience so much. And so um, I think like that really motivates me inside of the world that we're in today, seeing tech just everywhere, you know, and seeing this sort of like analog culture, which is, dance right in the body being able to sort of exist in like a bigger picture way and to be able to sort of like cross into um that sphere thank you for listening to the what fuels you podcast be sure to subscribe rate and review on itunes google podcasts or spotify and follow us on social media to keep up with the latest news and episodes you can also contact us at podcast at fueltalent.com to provide feedback, ask questions, and share topics or guests you would like us to cover in the future. We hope you feel inspired by our guests and that we have helped fuel your day. Join us next time for another episode of What Fuels You.